please be seated. If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I do invite you to turn with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. This is our passage for this morning. You can also find the text on the insert inside of your bulletin, along with a brief outline of today's passage. We have found our way to the conclusion of Matthew's gospel, the final chapter. It has taken us a, a couple of services to get here, and really quickly, let's recap what we have seen. Last Sunday, we approached the gospel of Matthew from the uh, passage commonly called the triumphal entry. As we read of Jesus coming into town, his, um, showing his kingship through the providing of a donkey, his people accepting that kingship by laying of their cloaks and their garments, and some of those within the crowd shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the son of David, Jesus of Nazareth, a prophet. Last Friday evening for our Good Friday service, we sadly learned that some of those very ones that welcomed in his arrival, that saw him as a king, as a conqueror, as a lord, and one who would loosen their shackles from Rome and all other ties to, to those of the world and would establish a, a kingdom in Jerusalem that would stand forever. When that didn't happen within a three to five day window, they immediately turned on him. And the one that they held as their king, they now condemned. Condemned to death. Condemned to death for blasphemy. You cannot claim to be God and not do something. You cannot say you reign and not reign, so therefore you must die. And so we read of Jesus' crucifixion. And we concluded our time Friday night with Jesus breathing His last. And heaven came down and split the curtain of the temple from top to bottom. The earth itself, nature itself, responds by shattering rocks, causing violent earthquakes. And so all seemed to mourn the loss of our Savior. But we do not stop there. We pick up where we left off this morning and looking at the 28th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. We accept the fact that Jesus Christ died and that He died for the sins of His people. And that in and of itself is good news, for He died for us. He died that we may live. He gave up His life so that we may have life. But the story does not end there. It is far greater than that. And so I invite you to please follow along with me as we hear what took place next. Starting in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, I'll begin in verse 1 and read through the end of the chapter. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold... There was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. 
And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came upon him and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Would you please bow with me as we go to him in prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to be upon us in this time. Dear Heavenly Father, what each and every one of us here this day need more than anything else is your word. We need you, your truth, the good news of the gospel. We need the hope that can only come through a risen Savior, a reigning King. And so, Father, I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would go forth, that he would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we might not only hear this message, but receive it, that it would be imprinted deeply upon our hearts, that we would live changed lives because of it, that we would live with hope, that we would look forward and look to a resurrected King. Father, we thank you for this time you've given us to study your word. I pray that you would give me boldness and give us attentive ears. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You could say things were at an all-time low for the followers of Christ. The eleven, for Judas has betrayed the Savior and has died at this point, plus some of his most faithful friends, those like Mary and Mary. They assumed Jesus was dead. This would have been a sobering reality. He's been telling them that he must die, but that he'll come back. He's said it over and over again in a bunch of different ways across three years. And while I want us to look at this passage honestly, and so we see the shortcoming here of his followers and those closest to him. I don't want us to give them too hard of a time. For you see, we, we often fail to remember this is prior to the Holy Spirit being poured out. This is prior to Jesus opening their eyes, truly giving them sight to see and true understanding of who he was and what he came to do. And so we see that they should have listened better. They should have paid more attention. They should have been at the tomb waiting, and they weren't. And yet at the same time, we know in time, they all came to understand, to trust, and to love Jesus, His Word, and His truth. In our passage this morning, we have a beautiful and glorious realization. It's given to us from Mary, 
Mary Magdalene and then Mary, the mother of James, from their perspective, their best attempt. We want to honor Jesus by finishing the burial process. They didn't get a chance to do that, for he was not there. And so they give us a beautiful look into this story. They stumble upon an empty tomb. They meet their Savior face to face. And they become some of the first missionaries to proclaim a risen Savior to the world. God uses a sorrowful situation to reveal His great truth to His people. And so this morning, I want us to weigh this news. I want us to to feel the intensity of what has taken place and what has then unfolded before their very eyes. We'll do so by looking at three sections of our text. I want us to marvel that the king stands in victory. This is laid out for us in the first ten verses of our passage. I also want us to see that the world will try to cover up this truth. They have from the beginning and they will continue to do so to this day. But the world cannot conquer, cannot overcome, cannot overshadow the truth that God is not dead, but He lives. We find this in our second section, verses 11 to 15. And then finally, in our third section, I want us to see that King Jesus, that's right, King Jesus commands and comforts His people. He does so from a place of authority, and we'll find that in the final verses of our text. But let us begin with a victorious king. You have to understand and appreciate the love to which Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, who's Mary, um, uh, mother of James and Joseph, that's according to chapter 27, verse 56, They're going to prepare the body for burial. They started this process but had to stop for as sundown came um, and then it was the Sabbath and they could not do any work. And so here they're wanting to finish their task. I think Luke's gospel records this for us well. And so they were going for the wrong reason. It was out of love. It was out of respect. But it was the wrong reason to be there. And yet, and this will be a theme this morning, the Lord was going to use this wrong reason to accomplish His divine plan. Their motives weren't quite right, and yet God was going to use that to glorify Himself and bring joy to these women. Isn't that often the case? Where we set our plans and we have ideas in mind, and I'm going to do this, or I'm going to go to this place, or I'm going to accomplish this task. Sometimes we do it, and the Lord is glorified. Sometimes we start it, And the Lord changes our path, our plans, and our minds, and He is glorified. But it is often the case that He will accomplish His means, His ends, His purposes through our planning. And we see that here. So I want to think about that just for a moment. The ladies are going to the tomb to finish the burial process, and there's a lot of things in their way, isn't there? First, you've got a set of soldiers, guards people who are well-equipped, who are trained, who are skilled, who are masters in their domain, which is war and violence. Surely along with that, that comes a proficiency in guarding. You get past the guards, though, you've got another problem. There's a tomb, an enclosed tomb. There was a stone, a very heavy stone, blocking the way. And this was a sufficient system. This would have been um, one of those like we do nowadays. A lot of people, when you get a security system, you put the little sign in your yard. It's, I'm protected by, 
and then fill in the blank. This would have been that kind of system. This is the premium. This is the, we've got it covered. No one's getting in, no one's getting out. And so the ladies prepare to go to the tomb, and I don't know if they were just praying that the Lord would answer those problems, or if they thought the guards might let them in, or if they really hadn't considered these things. But they're going, not realizing that there are a lot of obstacles between what they want and accomplishing that goal. But I don't think anyone was anticipating an angelic host, an angel of God, falling from heaven like lightning, landing with with such impact that it felt like an earthquake upon the earth, rolling back the stone single-handedly. In my research this week, archaeologists argue about it, but they estimate the stone that would be used would be somewhere between one to two tons in weight. It could have taken up to ten men to roll this stone. The angel single-handedly falls upon it, rolls it, and is just sitting there (laughs) at peace and waiting. The presence of the angel is so great and so terrifying for angels spend their time in the presence of the holy God that this renders the guards useless. In fact, the, the text tells us that they fell on their faces as if they were dead. And so by the time Mary Magdalene and Mary Mother James, Mary Mother of James, get to the tomb, all of the obstacles, either the ones they anticipated or didn't, were gone. They were done. They were neutralized. They weren't present. And one other point I'll make about that, and then I'll, we'll talk about the response. Um, I loved, I, I read that something this week that we need to be very clear of. The angel did not roll back that stone to allow Jesus to walk out. The angel did not roll back the stone for Jesus to walk out, as if Jesus didn't have the strength or power to roll the stone back himself. The angel, sent by God, rolled back the stone so the ladies could get in. Yet again, another sign of God's providence and his love and care so that they could see the evidence with their own eyes, face to face, get a first-hand account of what had taken place, of what was there, or better said, what wasn't there. And so the ladies walk up, they're, they're making their way to the tomb, they're ready to prepare their task and do their work. This angel is sitting there, casually as it would, And every time an angel shows up in the Bible, uh, there's only a couple of responses. Uh, You cower in fear, or you have to be told not to be afraid. Uh, And we see that here. The angel of the Lord looks to these women and says, Do not be afraid. Why? Because they were afraid. Because this angel radiated the presence of the Lord. And then the angel continues in his comfort. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. For he is risen, as he had said. Come, see the place where he lay. And so we we learn a little bit about the women here. There was a sense of fear in the presence of an angelic host, as often is the case. But more than that, they walk into this scene. Soldiers that look dead, an angel sitting on the tomb, a rolled back stone. And part of their fear was that Jesus has been taken. But he's gone. 
And so what does the angel say? Oh, no, 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 no. Let me explain it to you. I know you're coming to see a crucified Jesus, but you're not going to find one. He is not here, for he has risen. And then I love this tag, as he said. <laughs> oh, if they would have remembered that he's already told them this. But that, that again, it speaks to, to their hearts and just the fact that they weren't quite there yet. But Jesus had told them. He had anticipated this. He had prepared them for it. The king reigns. The king reigns in that he died for their sin. The king reigns all the more because he reigns over death. What is there left to conquer? He has conquered the grave. He has conquered sin. He has conquered Satan. He is victorious at all levels. What is there left to fear? What is there left to worry over? The only thing that we can do is then to share this news. To respond, to respond in joy. I love what the angel says. Go. You've seen it. Here it is. Here is the evidence. Go and speak this. How beautiful is it that, that the angel of the Lord makes Mary and Mary two of the first missionaries, two of the first people that get to say, guess what has happened? You're not going to believe this. And they do. They take off. They begin running, and they meet someone on the road. This was good news, but it got even better. Verse 9, Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came and took a hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Not only have they heard the testimony of the angel, not only have they seen the empty tomb, not only have they been told to remember what Jesus has already told them, but now they see him. The king does reign. The king is victorious. The king is alive. They take hold of his feet. He's real. This is not a ghost. This is not an apparition. This is not Jesus putting in a hologram and phoning it in. They grab him. He's tangible. And now with joy in their heart and that news that their Savior lives, they're told, now keep running. Keep on going. We've got work to do. Share this. Share this message. And let me just say this morning, I, I want to pause really quickly before we go any further. Jesus Christ reigns. He is victorious today. He reigns over the grave and sin and death. I, I misspoke earlier, and I do apologize. I, I said Jesus Christ has risen today instead of Christ the Lord is risen today. We're not waiting for it to happen. It didn't happen this morning. It happened just over 2,000 years ago, but yet we celebrate it to this day. Why? Because he's the same God today as he was then. And so what do we do? What do we do with this news? How do we react to this message? It ought to be just like Mary and Mary. It ought to be to bow our heads, to humble our hearts, to worship Him, and then get up and run. Go tell this news. Share it. For the world has been changed. And so if you hear nothing else this morning, I pray that you hear this and know this in your heart today. Jesus Christ reigns. And if you trust in Him by faith, He reigns with and for you too. But that's not the only message you're going to hear. 
This is the true message. This is the truth of the Word of God. This is the truth in our reality today, but the world will reject this. More than that, not only will the world reject it, the world will antagonize it. The world will speak against it. The world will do its best to shut this message down. It has done so from the beginning and continues to this day. So let us look at the second section and consider this. And to do this, we must take a pause. We've, we've been focusing on Mary Magdalene and Mary, mother of James and Joseph. But let's turn our attention back. Let's go back to the tomb. They've run off. An angel has showed up. The Savior's been proclaimed as alive. They've run off. And you've now still got soldiers, elite, trained soldiers, on their faces in the dirt. And I imagine the angel leaves and they're able to get up and they look around and go, uh-oh, we've got a problem. And when you think about it, did Jesus really amass an army of radical followers? Who, who did Jesus often pray with, talk to, consider, and show love and compassion toward? Sinners, tax collectors, lepers, those that this world often rejected. It wasn't, he wasn't raising a militant army. In fact, I, really the only instance we've got of someone acting militantly um, on the name of Christ is when they tried to take Jesus in the garden. Peter slings out his sword, cuts the guy's ear off, and is ready to go to blows for Christ. But that situation gets resolved because Jesus goes and takes the ear and then spits on it and puts some mud on it and puts it back on the guy's head and says, oh, you're good. That wasn't Jesus' motive. He wasn't raising an army. And so we've got these soldiers here guarding someone that is dead, which should be an easy job. And uh-oh, we messed up. So what do they do? They, they get a few of their messengers and they send them on to the higher-ups. They, they send them to the higher-ups. And it says, Some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. Let me pause really quickly before we, we deal with that. Here's another beauty of God and His sovereignty and His just, just awesome, awesome power. Unwittingly, these soldiers, Mary and Mary, get the benefit and the joy of being the first missionaries to share the good news of the gospel. Unwittingly, the soldiers become the second set of people that become missionaries to share the good news of the gospel. The very message that they reject, they now have to profess before the Pharisees. That's the power of God. Please don't miss the beauty of that. In admitting their failure, they profess the truth. God can use any circumstance to accomplish His good pleasure and will. That's just so good not to share, and I encourage you to consider that this morning. But let's, let's talk about it. So the soldiers come and they tell the truth. Everything that's happened, they lay it out. They heard the angel. They know what's taken place. And the elite come together. They have a council. They, they consider these things. And then they say, Tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ear, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So what are the Pharisees telling these soldiers to do? Lie. Even worse, the Pharisees are telling these soldiers, the elite guards and fighters, to tell people, we failed completely and utterly. We did not do our job properly. We fell asleep, 
and a bunch of cast-outs and women came at night while we were sleeping, didn't wake us up, rolled a stone out of the way, which it probably took around 10 of us to roll, went in a tomb, got a dead person, a full-grown dead person, wrapped them up, took them out of the tomb, took the stone, put it back, snuck back out past us trained elite soldiers and guards, and went on their way before we knew anything that was going on. That's the story the Pharisees said, hey soldiers, this is what you're going to say. So you tell me who has, the, who has the more bizarre story. Jesus raised from the dead as he said he would. And the power of God came upon him. He's raised from the dead. An angel comes and rolls back the stone. Jesus is gone. Or these elite professionals that are trained in every way to do this very thing failed utterly and completely. Well, I wish I could tell you that, that people listened to that story and said, that's, that's too crazy to believe. Well, there's no way we can believe that. But we're, sadly, we're told um, to this day, this message has been spread amongst the Jews. The writing of Matthew's gospel, people believed that message. <laughs> I, I guess people are always quick to believe the incompetence of, of, of government officials, but um, you know they, they took it, didn't they? They bought it. Yeah, of course, these Roman soldiers, those silly Romans, they, they're not good for anything. Yeah, they, they messed up. And at the same time, I want to ask you this morning, is that what we believe? Is that the message that's professed and proclaimed? I'll tell you this. We've got a missionary in Japan. His name is Ben Jensen. I can guarantee you this weekend, Ben Jensen didn't preach a message of a dead Jesus. I can also tell you this. A dear friend and pastor, John Dunning, RUF campus minister at K-State, he didn't preach of a sneaky set of disciples in Manhattan, Kansas this week to his students. I also know this for a fact. I have a dear brother and friend who's in China working for a church. It's not well known and has to keep itself in secret. He didn't proclaim to them this week that the tomb was full when they got there. You see, my friends, this is the truth, and it's being proclaimed here, and it's being proclaimed all around the world. Their message, their story, their concocted scheme, it sounds great, but it doesn't hold weight, does it? As compared to the evidence, to the truth, the truth outweighs it every single time. And so here we are this morning celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ and all of my brothers, all of our brothers and sisters around the world, as they come together, if they have a dedicated service this morning, they are proclaiming Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. And so while the world may try to squash this message, while they may try to belittle it, to hide it, to minimize it, they can't. They cannot overcome the truth. It only gets better. We have the testimony of the angel. We have the testimony of Christ himself declaring himself and presenting himself before them. We have the women declaring and running off to tell the message. And then in our final section, he appears to the eleven. He speaks to them, commands them, and comforts them. And at this point, the disciples have gone back to Galilee as they were commanded to do so. 
It is here that Jesus appears before them. And just as you would expect, that brings mixed emotion. Again, it's so easy for us to look at the disciples and kind of look down on them. You silly disciples. Hey, you didn't believe Jesus and he's standing right there. Oh, you silly disciples. We want to we pat him on the head and go, it's okay. But remember, we're looking into this with the, with the beauty and the power and the evidence of the Holy Spirit, the complete canon. We have eyes to see that they didn't yet have and we have a completed message that they didn't yet have. So go easy on them, please. The message says some believed as they should, but some doubted as some do. I love what one commentator said of this this week. Matthew's mention of this doubt serves as a genuine historical echo because those who were there would never have forgotten the conflicting emotion and belief in that unique experience. Now think about this. The disciples from here forward, and to read what happened next, we really should go to the book of Acts and read of the start of the church. The disciples disperse and spread that message. What is going to happen to them now? They've doubted, they've had anxiety, they've worried, they've had fear. How are they then going to treat people when they come into these towns, into these churches, into these villages, and people doubt, worry, have anxiety, or have fear? They're going to say, me too. They're going to understand. They're going to be sympathetic because it wasn't something that they immediately said, aha, that's right, I knew it, because they weren't there at the tomb where they should have been. But by God's grace, again, His sovereign mercy, they have this overwhelming emotion and things are kind of mixed up that will then empower them to go forth and love those they are called to love. And it's in that and through that we get the final words of Jesus uh, this morning. And, and this deserves a sermon in and of itself. Um, this is the great section of Scripture commonly called the Great Commission. The commissioning of the people of God. And often when we talk about the Great Commission, we pick it up at verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And it's, 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 a, it's accurate to do so. I would, however, though, I would, however, make the case the Great Commission starts in verse 18. And if I've ever spoken of it, or if you've ever heard me talk about it, or if you want to learn about it, I've always pointed you to verse 18. Why? Well, let's read it. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19, Go therefore. Every time you see a therefore, what is it therefore? How can they go? Why can they go? And what strength can they go? What gives them hope of success of their mission? Right before the therefore. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. They go because Jesus reigns. They go because the king has commanded go. They go because he has conquered death and hell and sickness and sorrow and sadness and doubt and worry and fear. He said, I reign. Go. In my power, in my name, by my authority, and in my presence. And you will go forth 
and you will succeed in that which you will do. That only works under two conditions. One, Jesus Christ is king. If someone makes a proclamation like this, if someone commands it of you, you don't submit to them unless they're the true authority. At this point, he has professed and proclaimed that clearly. The evidence is laid out before them. I rule and I reign supremely. Secondly, you don't go unless you can be assured that what you are professing and proclaiming is real, is true, is the right thing to say. Well, here's the beauty of that. They've just spent three years with Jesus where he has been preparing people for this very message. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. Who is he talking to? The 11 disciples, or we could call them apostles, though they were commissioned. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in the name of the triune God, teaching them to observe, and don't miss this, all that I have commanded you. These 11 went through the best seminary experience humanly possible. No one else, maybe apart from Paul, could have had a better theological education than the three years that these men walked with their Savior. And so he says, go in my name and my authority and my power and just tell them what I've told you. You've heard it for three years now. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them, sharing with them, walking with them, which means being patient and loving and kind and long-suffering. And then the beautiful conclusion, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. They don't do it alone. You don't go and represent the king without a sign that the king is with you. Jesus says, my presence will be with you. And really to understand that, we need to go to the book of Acts to see the day of Pentecost, the first couple of chapters when the Holy Spirit would descend upon them. But when they go, they go in power. They go in power that comes from the king. And that, my friends, is the good news. Here we are today sharing the same message of hope and faith. We've got nothing new. I'm not telling you something that you've not heard before. In fact, those of you that are very keen would go, Aaron, about two years ago you preached the same passage I did. I'm not going to tell you something that doesn't come from here. This is the truth. This is the message. What we're called to do is submit to him, our king, our Lord, and our Savior, to go forth in power, just as he told the disciples to do, believing that he rules, he reigns, and he is resurrected. And we do so knowing that Jesus Christ is in heaven right now doing a couple of things. One, he's praying. We are told Christ prays for us continually on the throne. But he's also busy. He's not only praying for us, he's preparing a place for us. And one day soon, he will come back and we will be with him forever. And in that, we have hope. But until then, we're told to go. In the name and under the authority of the king, let us pray. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, may we submit our hearts, our lives to the king. May we say that Jesus Christ rules and reigns. He has conquered sin and death and hell. Lord, may we recognize our need for him. 
For we deserve the cross. We deserve the grave. We deserve death. We deserve your wrath. We have sinned and broken the law. We do so every day intentionally and by our very nature. But there is hope of forgiveness which only comes through Jesus Christ. Lord, may this be a day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But Lord, may every day and every Sunday be Resurrection Sunday. May we continually sing praises to the Savior who rules and reigns for us and who will come back soon to take us home. Until then, may we heed the words of the angel. May we heed the words of our Savior. May we go and share this news, the good news, the gospel message. We thank you, O Lord, for loving us such. We pray that you would bless us now in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.